On today's episode of Sex, Drugs, and Musical Theater, we will be discussing in three acts what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Act one, red flags. So, I think that I was set up for failure as a young boy growing up in a family of alcoholics and addicts. Um, You know, my parents were pretty much drunk all the time. You know, I come from a um, Latino, you know, middle class Latino background. I grew up in a town called San Jose, California. Uh, It's basically Silicon Valley Um, in a lower middle class neighborhood, you know, two working parents my dad was a a contractor construction worker and my mom was like some form of secretary or whatever but um I mean red flags that I was going to grow up to be an addict were there was so many um I was an overeater uh from the time of birth I believe I think I overate the air in the room um I also always had an inferiority complex you know what I mean I was I was always I was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex if you can even imagine what that looks like and how attractive that must be the first thing that I ever ran to to change the way that I felt was food you know my parents would uh my parents were severe alcoholics they would you know go to work in the morning functioning alcoholics but very severe they would go to work and go straight to the bar um, right after work they wouldn't even come home you know they would stay at the bars I knew all the numbers to all the local bars in my neighborhood and I would call there looking for my parents and and, you know I could hear them in the background just saying tell them we're not here tell them we're on our way home you know and the bartenders would would tell me no little Richard you know we uh, your parents just left they'll be home soon you know and I started to just kind of think that what was it that I had done wrong that the people that are supposed to love me the most don't even want to come home to, uh, you know, take care of me, to, to feed me, to check my homework, to tuck me into bed, to read me a story, you know, like I must not be a person of value. I must not have any value. And the only way that I could calm my fears and kind of just, uh, like be okay was to eat. And overeat, I did. Um, and by the time I was like eight years old, I was, you know, probably like 150 pounds. And so, yeah, those were, that was one of the first red flags that I've ever had. You know, I wonder to myself. You know, in my family, it was very much like, um, do as I say, not as I do. You know, the, the, it was apparent that the elephant in the room, you know, was drug addiction and was alcoholism and was, you know, like, uh, my parents had all these things going on. Right. 
and 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 there was violence in the home and 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 there was but there was also a lot of love too like i can't forget that there was a lot of love there too you know there were times when my parents were beautiful people to be around they were they were amazing and and they showed me so much love and uh but you know their addictions got the best of them um i remember that like my parents would you know I, me as a kid i was just so innocent and so naive and and i wanted to think the best in everybody and i and i remember my parents would be up all night locked in their room I mean, like all night, just talking and, and talking away, and just you know. And I would sit there thinking to myself, like, God, look at after all these years, my parents—they're just still so in love. They have so much to talk about, you know. And little did I know that they were actually in there doing lines of coke and just tweaked out of their gourd, you know, talking probably not even to each other, but just out loud, you know what I mean, in their own little worlds. Um, but it was funny, you know. I I just had all these ideas of what my parents represented and, and, and who they were, uh, that were in like complete, just that were contrary to their actions, you know? And so I learned at an early age, like, uh, your actions don't have to match up to your, to your words. And that, um, you can say one thing and you need to always say the right thing but you can do something absolutely different behind closed doors. Um, I, I was taught, I just, all these beliefs, you know, all these beliefs and ideas that I got from just watching my parents and absorbing how they lived. And, you know, um, another belief system that I got from them was the idea that like, as long as you pay your bills and you go to work every day, like you can do whatever the hell you want, like to work hard and play hard. Um, and you know, that's, that works for some people, but if you have the disease of addiction, it doesn't work for you. Like it, it, you will cross that invisible line at some point. And once, you know, they always, they say, uh, you know, in, Actually, in AA, there's they they say that you know you can't turn a you can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber. You know, once you're pickled, you're pickled. Like there's there's no way back after that you crossed over that line. And so um, the story of my upbringing is that I watched my family slowly decline and the disease of addiction take over and. Um, at 42, my dad died um, from complications from alcoholism, drug addiction, and um, having diabetes at the same time. You know, he died at 42 years old uh, in his father's arms at work, and um, it completely changed the direction of my life. You know, I remember thinking that I was different at about age nine. I, 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 I knew I liked men and I knew that, um, I could never tell anybody about it because, you know, I came from a very macho family. You know, my dad was, you know, very like all the guys on my dad's side of family were just like these giant men who like did drywall and freaking drank at the bar and, and were very, um, just like dude, dude, dudes. They were just really, really, um, macho men who took care of their families and were no nonsense. And like their hands were like bigger than like my face. 
And uh, here I was, you know, like little fat kid with a high voice who like knew all Janet Jackson's moves, like, and would just sit there and imitate like Michael Jackson and, and, you know, just like, you know, just not that person. And um, I just remember feeling that when my dad did pass away, I just remember feeling sad, but I also, there was a relief there because I felt like I could finally be myself. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that because it sounds like I like I'm like was relieved that he passed away. But you have to remember that like in in the whole time from from probably about age nine to age fifteen when he passed away, every night all there was was drinking, my parents coming home, fighting, beating each other up, and yelling and screaming and violence. And that's all there was every night. And I was just this boy there my sister had already ran away from home she left me there you know and i was stuck in this chaos and and there was no escaping it every day i had to deal with some type of crisis or trauma and every day i had to try to make sure that my parents didn't kill each other and it was exhausting and i felt like there was no way out of it and so when he passed away it's not like i was i was happy that he died at all because i loved my father very much and uh, i needed my father you know, but it was just that I, I was relieved in a, the sense of like, there was going to be no more, no more, I guess, no more violence. And there wasn't going to be as much chaos and any relief from the chaos was, I was open to that, you know, you know, at 15 years old, when he died, I was just discovering kind of like my sexuality too, you know, I had Luckily, I had met some people in high school who also changed the direction of my life. Um, and I kind of stopped hanging out with like the kids from my neighborhood, which were, you know, a bunch of cholos and a bunch of, you know, gangsters and graffiti artists and, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, and I met, I guess, more like of like the stoner kids. And um, in doing that, it opened up this whole other world of, of possibilities to me, you know, rock and roll saved my life, rock and roll, punk rock, you know, all that stuff like glam rock, just like that whole, you know, uh, like I was just, I just became really, really into music. And um, somehow in that process, I discovered musical theater. Now musical theater really changed my life. Musical theater gave me a platform to express myself but it also was where I learned to uh, use drugs excessively. Act two, what happened? So I think what happened was there was the perfect storm of, um, of devastation happening in my life. There was, there, you know, there was the fact that my father had just died. I was dealing with that. My mother had checked out and was kind of like in, uh, just a, a absentee, you know, parent. 
and um, I was finding comfort and solace in my friendships and and at the same time I was you know I was I was you know smoking weed for the first time I was you know trying acid for the first time you know I was I was drinking at parties I was going to raves and 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 I was really really into the music scene so I was going to punk rock shows I was going to um you know I was I was like heavily immersed in in culture you know I, I i was reading you know all these magazines and about fashion and about the new york club kids and you know um about you know the tunnel and limelight and amanda lapore and sophia lamar and and i was i was reading you know kerouac novels i was introduced to the beat movement i was just doing and reading and obtaining so much knowledge and information and and just becoming i guess more cultured uh, as cultured as you can get being a 16 year old Latin gay boy in San Jose in 1995 right but I think that, that storm of you know searching outside of myself for comfort um, finding solace in my friendships and 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 having these wonderfully you know magical experiences on drugs you know um really I just got lost in all that and I didn't deal with my dad's death and it festered and it festered and I you know I now I was going to raves every weekend and taking ecstasy and and doing a little bit of you know meth and and doing a little bit of uh acid and coke and nitrous and and e and you know just uh, just you name it we were doing it every weekend um I started to really really I don't know. I guess I, I guess I started to really check out of my life, but at the same time, I had a couple friends that were really, really into theater, and you know, uh, and they told me, "Say, why don't you audition for um, the school musical?" I think it was Oklahoma that I auditioned for, and uh, I auditioned, and I caught the you know the musical bug, and uh, you know, the next show I did was Anything Goes, and then I started auditioning for. Um, community theater um at this place called uh children's musical theater and it was there that i really really realized i had the chops and i had and i and i could sing and i could act and i started you know uh getting leads and on in the in the shows there like jesus christ superstar and the who's tommy and all these you know rock musicals that i was like really really leaning towards um wanting to be in and um, it saved my it saved my life. It's actually probably the reason why I graduated high school because my senior year I just totally like cut out all the drugs, and I just focused on on graduating and on doing as many shows as I could. So I did four shows a year. I um, you know I just I, I loved theater and I loved singing and telling stories and I loved like being a part of something that I, I created like you know from the beginning middle and end and seeing it all the way through it was like the first time in my life that I actually saw that I could create something and like and and and, and finish it off and, and you know just kind of see it through I didn't have a lot of those type of models in my life of of, of what I could and couldn't do so it was very special to me and I met some amazing people who believed in me and who changed my life like and just like brought out my fullest potential. And so when I was 18 years old, my senior year, the year after I graduated from high school, I auditioned for 
a school in New York City called uh, AMDA, which is American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And I auditioned and um, and I got in. And I got in and I got a full ride scholarship and uh, I had to, you know, they were, it was, I think I auditioned in like June and I got in and I had to be there by the end of August. So I was so ready to leave San Jose. I was ready to leave my family behind. I, I didn't want to deal with any of the, the, the just depression that, you know, when I went home, it was nothing but depression. It was, it was, there was drug use there. My mom was like, you know, just, she was inconsolable and she was just, she was suffering and she was struggling and, and she never came out of the room. And when she did, she was drunk and, and she was high and she was crying and she was angry. And my, you know, my sister, at the time had come back to live with us and she had her kids there and and she was using drugs and it was just this home environment was just so depressing to me that I didn't want any part of it I was angry at I was angry at the people around me because they didn't they didn't take care of me they, they wanted me to take care of them and I, and I just I was just done with it and so I saved all the money I could that summer which was like five hundred dollars and I went to the flea market and I bought two big you know, really cheap suitcases that I could buy there. And I stuffed my whole record collection, CD collection into those two big cases and some clothes. And I went to New York City. And um, I can't believe that, you know, now thinking back on it, I went to New York City with $500 in my pocket and just a song in my heart and and, and a hope and a prayer, you know? And um, God, that first summer in New York City was just the most beautiful, uh, unforgettable summer of my life. So it was August of 1998, I believe, uh, that I got to New York City. I was my first plane ride I had ever been on. I was, I think, it was, yeah, it was August, I think, 5th that I I took my JetBlue airline from Oakland, California to New York City. I think we arrived in LaGuardia and I had, you know, enough money in my pocket uh, in cash to get a taxi driver and I I told him my address, you know, it was was, uh, somewhere off of... I, I think I lived on 67th and Columbus in Manhattan. And, you know, so we're, we're driving over the bridge and, you know, I get to see, you know, Manhattan and we get into Manhattan and, and I'm and I'm looking, you know, this neighborhood that he drops me off at. He drops me off in front of this place called the Stratford Arms, which was like um, an old dilapidated hotel that was turned into a dorm room. And oh, the Stratford Arms, the Stratford Arms Hotel. There's so many stories I could tell. It's like an American horror story, freaking uh, fairy tale at that place. Anyways, so they drop me off there, and the first person that I see when I get out of the cab with both of my with both of my my pieces of luggage was this woman with the bottom half of her face was like literally like not there wasn't wasn't really there i didn't know what happened to her but apparently she was the door lady and the 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 front desk you know it was like a really old hotel like so it was basically like this hotel where all these like you know i want to say like mentally ill people lived 
and they were trying to like slowly, you know, weed them out of the place and fill it with AMDA students. And so like, but they still had the old, the old staff running, you know, the front desk. And it was one of those places where like they had a little square boxes where you could leave your, leave a note in the box and it would tell you if someone came by to visit you. And there was a phone that like connected to all the phones of the hotel. There was rats, there was roaches. There was a lady who had narcolepsy named June who slept in the hallway and she had this like humongously long dread that went down her back and she was the kindest, you know, slowest like woman that you've ever seen. She was just like, she was like, she was great. We, anyways, we, we love June. Um, but she would like take baths in the community the community bathrooms it, you'd go in there and there'd be no water running there would just be like a bunch of flour like all over her body it was just it was really really weird serpent in the rainbow voodoo kind of stuff going on there it was just it was it was creepy but i loved it like i was just so in love i was like i'm in new york fucking city i live in manhattan i live in in a neighborhood you know the 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 Dakota building was like three blocks away, you know, I mean, uh, Harrison Ford lived next door and I, we used to see him and whatever her name is, Calissa Flockhart walking down the street, you know, nice John Bon Jovi would be walking his dog. Like, I, I think one morning I went outside and went to the, the French bistro at the end of my block and, and I see, um, uh, I see Al Pacino having a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yes, I'm in New York. I made it. Fuck San Jose. Fuck my life. You know, I'm, I'm going to rewrite, rewrite my story, you know, you know? And so, um, that's what I did. That's what I set out to do. You know, the first day of school, I met the most amazing group of people, you know, friends that I have till this day, like people that really changed my life. Um, but we became this unit of, of, you know, we were, we were all like, you know, 17, 18 years old, all living in New York city, coming from different towns. We were, we were, you know, we all had a passion for acting. We were all talented on different scales. You know, some of us were, were like amazingly talented. And some of us, like, I don't honestly don't know how they got into the school. You know, they had like no talent, but they were lovely people. And, you know, we, we started, you know, having class every day and, 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 and building this routine, you know, we'd, we'd have to go to jazz and tap and ballet and, 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 and have to go to, you know, uh, acting method and, and stage combat and, you know, all these classes all day long. And at night we would buy tickets to go see Broadway shows. We go to TKTS and, 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 and get into, you know, get cheap tickets for Broadway shows or we would, um, we would just, you know, dance dance at Lincoln Center for the swing dancing in under the stars in the summer that they had there. I got a little job at Pottery Barn on uh, 69th and and Broadway, um, and you know we were so poor, like all of us were so poor, and all we ate was top ramen there was this place called big nicks on on 70th in columbus and we used to eat pizza there. that's all we could really afford to eat was pizza and we you know we 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 all took care of each other we just like we just like we took care of each other we got stoned and we acted out our scenes together and we went to school together and we and we went drinking together and we we became this little community and, and we we bonded because i mean we spent this it was just a, you know, it was a first for all of us, everything that was going on. So we were really close and we would get so sick of being poor and eating ramen 
all day long. So we would, you know, once a week, I think we would like, you know, use to try out our acting chops and we would all dress up as different characters and we would go to a fancy restaurant and pretend to be these people that we weren't. And we'd bring the cockroaches from our building and we would slip them in the soup and just, you know, and then act out this, you know, this whole melodrama of how appalled we were that there's cockroaches in our soup and, you know, we get our whole, all our meals comped and it was just this great experience. You know, we did it every, every week and, and it was just, you know, we have so many stories to tell about living on the Upper West Side in 1999-98 in New York City it was you know the city was it was different then uh, it was a it was you know Giuliani you know was had cleaned up the city a little bit but there was still that old New York City that you know that you see in the movies like Jumpy Jack Flash and whatever you know movies from the 80s that you there was still that old New York that kind of raunchy like you know uh eighth avenue 42nd and eighth avenue you know all the porn shops and all the the slutty like uh prostitutes on on 47th street and you know it was it was still had that grit but it was becoming you know the disney Times square and and just it was getting cleaned up but it was just this really weird in between time where like um it was the last of the old school new york and i'm so grateful that i got a chance to actually be there at that time you know what i mean we would go to like you know the tunnel and to limelight and and to all these other dawn hills um you know we would just go to there was there was so many great places and clubs that we went to all the places that i dreamed about when i was in high school reading you know detour magazine and reading fucking you know whatever uh magazine david lachapelle was photographing in you know about all the stories about the club kids at you know at at um at that party 2000 whatever that they did at limelight where michael alley killed that other club kid angel i used to read about this stuff and just be like i cannot wait to meet these people and lo and behold you know i got to actually got to meet um amanda lapore and sophia lamar and uh peter geisha and um you know and these were like my heroes like these people and then going to don hills and 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 getting to meet like you know like band members from interpol and from the strokes and the yeah yeah yeahs and like and you know and just like immersing myself in like finding the spots where like the velvet underground used to play and 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 you know like really really going to the lennox lounge and 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 seeing you know where my famous you know my famous iconic jazz singers you know played at and just all these you know all these places there were so many memories i could go into so much detail about this time period but it was probably the greatest time period of my life um i cherish that time period i cherish my my years in new york uh i could go on and on about my time there um so what happened was I didn't finish school there. I had to leave school because I couldn't afford it anymore. And um, I started auditioning for shows, you know, and I, and I auditioned for a couple shows and, and I got a couple parts and did a couple tours and I went on, you know, I did, I think the first tour I got was American Family Theater and uh, I did like a tour of Pippi Longstocking, the musical, you know, and I was like Pippi, Pippi Longstocking's dad and it was like the most horrible show in the world, but it was the most amazing experience to me because I got to ride around in a van from city to city, see the whole country, put on a show, you know, and 
it was just it was it was a great experience. It was a wonderful experience, and um, yeah, and it was just you know, it was. So I say all that to say this is that at the same time I started to develop a drug habit while I was there, and I think the moment that I got I, I had to leave school. Part of me just felt like a failure. Part of me just felt like, I don't know. I just felt like maybe I didn't have the chops and maybe I, I wasn't a strong uh, actor and singer as, as my friends were. And I started to doubt myself. And, and I think that I just really started to indulge in drugs and alcohol more than I had in a long time. And... Um, once again, that perfect storm kind of came about where like 9-11 happened and and I just wanted to get out of the city and because I was smoking too much pot and doing too much E and doing too much coke and drinking too much and I wasn't getting much accomplished and I, I decided to take a break and go home. Now, mind you, I was living with my friend Rose who I had not paid any rent to for like six months. You know, she just let me stay with her and I just kind of, you know, I, I just... I just wasn't well, you know? So I went home and all my friends here in back in the Bay Area were uh, experimenting with a new thing and they were smoking crystal meth. And, um, you know, I came home, I had a lot of time on my hands and uh, that perfect storm that I keep talking about was there, you know what I mean? I had a lot of time on my hands, I had money in the bank and... Um, I wanted to check out. I wanted I wanted to check out of my feelings. I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. I felt like a failure. Even though I was just visiting going home, I, I knew that I was going to stay a while, you know? So I was introduced to smoking crystal meth, and uh, my life took a completely different direction from the moment that I tried it. Uh, yeah. Yeah.